it's another form of ecosystem, but you know, big companies need small companies, right? Yeah. Small companies bring value. Big companies can't do everything. They look at what we're doing and go, that's really good stuff. You're taking a tech. And just to be clear, that technology is over. They do not sell that product. The product they were using was discontinued three years ago. So we're taking something that's just literally sitting with a sitting on their shelf doing nothing and we're giving it a second life. You can't take it as is. You got to innovate it. You got to do customer discovery. You got to do some level of engineering. And so that's what we did. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're doing all well out there and enjoying your summer. Thanks for joining us again. My guest today is Mark Atkins, who I've known for, for quite a while. We were, we were reminiscing before the show about how long it was. Uh, neither one of us is exactly sure. But Mark is a really great guy, and he is the CEO of Lean Med. And, well, we'll find out what Lean Med is here in a little bit, but it's really cool. And he's also director and chair of the PDMA, which is the Product Development Management Association. But today we're going we're gonna to talk about Lean Med. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to see you again, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to the show today. Yeah. Where are you joining us from? I'm in Pittsburgh right now, in sunny Pittsburgh, enjoying a nice summer day. Good. Yeah, I was just in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. Beautiful city. Nice people. I love it there. Let's start with Lean Med. What is Lean Med? So Lean, Lean Med is a four-year-old medical device startup. The roots come from Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh. Four years ago, I was teaching at Pitt as an adjunct professor, teaching a course called Medical Product Innovation within the bioengineering department. And one of my students traveled to Malawi, Africa as part of a student project. And while there, he saw so many young children dying of pneumonia and was really struck by that because I think for most Americans, if you hear someone passing of pneumonia, you're a little maybe surprised or that seems rather unique. James Newton was, is my student or was my student then, came back and at that time, it was taking 800,000 lives a year, 800,000 kids dying every year from pneumonia, 99% of those deaths happening outside of the high income nations, the Europe, uh, North America, Japan. So James came back, just inspired to do something and organized a student team. They asked me to be the mentor. We entered an entrepreneurial program at the University of Pittsburgh, took first prize, got 10,000 bucks. And with that, we started Lean Med. Wow. That is so cool. What a great yeah. story. Yeah. I mean, I know you have a strong background in product. You've got a great, great experience within your career, but how did you get started? Okay. You, you won this competition and, 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 and what next? <laughs> well, so, you know, trying to really practice a little of what I preach, we tried to think about lean startup and proper product development. So first question, do you have a problem that people care about? Do we have a problem worth solving? So it's kind of a sad joke in a way, but we said, no doubt, this is a problem we're solving. If you're losing 800,000 children a year to a very treatable disease, 
we have a problem we're solving. So that was always, you know, something strong. So then you go into, well, what's the solution? And part of that problem, one of the root causes for the high death rate is a, is a lack of access to medical oxygen. So again, in the States, we kind of take it for granted. We see medical oxygen everywhere in clinics and ambulances at hospitals. Well, there it's very scarce and particularly in the rural areas. So the solution is how do we get medical oxygen to these children? And so with that, we brainstormed actually a number of bad ideas. <laughs> and so that's kind of fun when we look back on it. But where we ended up was, was something that we call the O2 cube. Uh, we still have that name today, four years later. But we said, why don't we use solar power? A big part of the problem was lack of electricity. These clinics had no, no, no power. If you have no power, you have no way to, to run oxygen concentrators, which are one primary way to serve patients with pneumonia. So, um, so we, we just literally brainstormed and we began to reach out to people in this, in this world of, uh, of pediatric care and constructed a concept, a solar powered concept called the O2Q. So that was our, you know, our, our moment. And I'll just say from there, we, we had to do what everyone does. We built one in my garage. Okay. Story. Yeah. So we literally did, I do the design work, put a solar panel up on my roof. And then even in the beginning, Philips Healthcare has been a tremendous supporter of ours. I had worked with them in my consulting days and their oxygen business is headquartered here in Pittsburgh. And so they donated the, the original equipment, which uh, we'll get, how much we'll get into the, the, the nitty gritty of the device. But the oxygen concentrator and the cylinder compression units were devices made by Philips and they donated them to us. So we, we built the first O2Q uh, kind of a bench version in my garage to just validate the idea, which seemed pretty straightforward using solar energy to use existing medical devices and yeah. could it work? And yeah, sure. It worked. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you didn't have to engineer the, the oxygen generator. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important point uh, I'd like to make to, to the audience and to what we're about, because one of our guiding notions is that we want to be an innovation company, not a research company. And when you work in the university environment like, like I did, and you're here in Pittsburgh, which is rapidly becoming a really strong healthcare center, you see just millions and millions of dollars invested in research. But we had this very like, hey, this is a problem that needs to be addressed today. Is there something, quote, on the shelf that could work? And, and it just jumped at us. We said, well, yeah, here's these devices that were designed for the use in, in the U.S. home. Can we modify, can we repurpose this technology and make it work in rural health centers in places like Africa and India? And so that... That was our, you know, that was our approach from day one. We took some heat around that because I think a lot of startups go through this. People are like, well, where's your IP? Where are your patents? You know, how are you going to protect this? And we really didn't have a lot of, quote, research or deep engineering. It was very much the repurposing of an existing technology. But we were able last year, we do have a global licensing agreement with Philips. They were terrific with us. 
So that technology, that, that compression technology that we're using that Philips developed 10 years ago for the US market, we have a license to build and sell it uh, throughout the world. And, and that's what we're doing. We're repurposing, quote, call it US technology for uses in low income countries. I, I think that's a really great, you know, we talk about sometimes about the ecosystem, innovation in an ecosystem. And you were, you know, that, that's really the story right there. I mean, you don't have to invent everything, right? No. And, and, and it's funny, the, the folks here in Pittsburgh, and I'm not, you know, I wasn't born here. I moved here 15 years ago, but it's a really nice eco, Pittsburgh ecosystem story. You know, I'm a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. We have these Pittsburgh students who want to do something to make the world better. We go through the University of Pittsburgh innovation program called Blast Furnace, run by, at the time, a fellow, Greg Katikia, that you may know. I know that um, name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we go through that. We go into another incubator here in town called Idea Foundry. They provide us funding in 2019. We take that money. We do a pulse oximetry study in Malawi with that money, uh, looking at oxygen saturation levels of children at, at these rural health centers. The following year, we move over to, up the street to Duquesne University here in Pittsburgh. And there at the chair of their biomed department, John Viator offered up a student team to build the first freestanding prototype. So at that point we had the bench prototype. So we had a wonderful set of students from Duquesne University build the first, you know, functional freestanding O2 cube. So, and there's more, I can go on, but it's, it is a really, the, the Pittsburgh folks see us as kind of a hometown. I, I don't want to use the success is too early maybe at this point, but, but we hope to be a really good Pittsburgh story. Yeah. Well, you know, it just lends a lot of credence to the, the value of a, of a small local area of innovation right? And just what that can do. I, I don't know if you ever met Kataki Desai. She was, she was around floating in Pittsburgh and she moved into uh, Canada Yes, and she was on an early podcast episode and she's trying to replicate that model. You know, she's part of the Ontario Center for, for Innovation up there. And it's just such a strong model. I met her, but not well, but I remember a lot of people were sad to see her go. It was a real, Toronto did well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but it, that's, yeah, the exactly. The point is there's something there that works, right? If you go from the, the incubators, then uh, we went into, Pitt had a competition and we took finalist money in that competition. With that, this was just now in the last year, we went to the back to University of Pittsburgh where they have a student engineering uh, group there uh, called IDEA. And with that funding, we then took the O2 cube to another level. And I, I, I won't go into the features, but we, we had customer feedback by that point. I'll give you one illustration quickly. People said, well, you can fill cylinders at two and a half liter per minute. And for people that are in the medical field, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about here. They said, that's nice, but we really need more flow. We need more oxygen production if we're going to take care of these patients. So we, we, brainstormed up again a way to, to amplify that up to 10 liter per minute using a manifold system. And so that was the idea we had. We had the funding from Pitt. We were able to employ, if you will, Pitt students. 
and successfully built and demonstrated uh, at the beginning of this year, you know, this higher flow rate system. So that's just, you know, a small sample of, again, university funding, taking the grant, leveraging students, and then just to finish the thought, that prototype now sits at a design firm here in Pittsburgh called Daedalus Incorporated. And they're a, you know, a 20 year old, very well established design engineering firm. And they took the handoff from Pitt and now they're building us our first commercial units, which will ship early next year. So again, that's, it, it is kind of a cool little ecosystem. Yeah. You can move all that and, and never leave Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, you're on a shoestring budget too. It's not like you had a lot of money here. No, it's all been, it's all bootstrapped. Although recently it's closing tomorrow, so I don't think it's going to, we're going to air in time. But one of the things that we did that was an outreach, if you will, was to do a crowdfunding campaign. And I don't know how much, how many folks in your audience have lived through that or attempted it. Most people are familiar with crowdsourcing, where a new cool product's coming along and you're, you put money in and you're almost pre-ordering right. the, yeah, the, 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 the product. Model. So you're, yeah. yeah, you're funding the development and then you get the cool product back. Well, with medical equipment, you can't do that. So it's, it's called crowdfunding. So I'm really excited. We've, we've raised, as of today, we raised $82,000. Small investors, you know, 60 investors in total, but that money's now being used to do the engineering. But that's that's a technique that, you know, we had a good experience with it. I, I think it was really an expansion of your horizon to get outside of Pittsburgh and just literally try to go out in the rest of the world and raise some money. And those people now become owners. They're shareholders of LeanMed. Yeah, right, right. And what about approaching Philips? I mean, had you had a relationship with them? I mean, how do you take a big company like that yeah. and, and kind of... How do you even know what door to knock on? Well, that's, again, that's the little ecosystem. So I consulted with them for eight years. They were many years my best client. I was in there a lot and got to know a lot of people at Philips. So it did help me. It, again, never planned. I stopped consulting with them. I go teach at Pitt. We come up with this oxygen idea, and there I am back down the street knocking on Philip's door saying, hey, would you mind helping us out? And I did know who to go to. So that's pretty serendipitous, really wasn't wasn't planned out. But it is it's it, it, there's a good I think a good lesson there that although you do need to probably know the right people, but they are a massive company. They are a big company, yeah. but they look at what we do. And I, I think I can say this. We have a couple people on our advisory board from Philip's. I talk to them all the time. And they're almost at times a little jealous of us that we are lean net. And, you know, we can we can kind of turn on a dime. We can say we're going to go this direction. When you're a larger company like that, it's hard. And that's why I'm proud. I mentioned that licensing agreement. You know, here we are, you know, little lean med and we have a you know, we have a technology transfer agreement with the Dutch company. We literally worked with their team out of the Netherlands to do that agreement. And so it can be done. I, it's another form of ecosystem, but you know, big companies need small companies, right? Yeah. Small companies bring value. Big companies can't do everything. They look at what we're doing and go, that's really good stuff. You're taking a tech. And just to be clear, that technology is over. They do not sell that product. The product that we're using 
was discontinued three years ago. So we're taking something that's just literally sitting, what is sitting on their shelf, doing nothing, and we're giving it a second life. Because there's no longer a market for that particular device. In the in the North America, people, there was the development of portable oxygen concentrators using lithium battery technology and digital electronics. So you don't see people pushing oxygen tanks through the airport too much anymore. No, right? I think right. yeah. we might You're remember just carrying that little. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. now you've just got a little thing on your back. So so that technology was obsoleted for the North American and European markets. Again, you can't take it as is. You got to innovate it. You got to do customer discovery. You got to do some level of engineering. And so that's what we did. I, I do want to mention one other thing. I don't know if we talked earlier, but partly what happened last year that helped was the World Health Organization gave us recognition as an innovative health technology. And, and that's kind of something, a lesson for startups that at times, either through competitions or this kind of submission, we didn't, we didn't get any money. It would have been nice to have gotten money. Yeah, the right. yeah. But I still, I have it on my wall right there. The letter that we got, uh, there were 380 submissions to be published as part of this compendium and only 30 made it. And they put you through a pretty rigorous process of understanding what you're developing and what, what solution you're trying to solve and so on. So those kinds of, you know, recognitions that come from a World Health Organization. This year, we're in the final Cisco does every year what they call the Global Problem Solver Challenge. And this year, they had over 1,200 submissions. And we found out a couple of weeks ago, we're in the finals. And that was only 40 companies. So, you know, again, and I don't, uh, chances of winning money, uh, <laughs> we, we could, it'd be nice. But it's the kind of thing that, well, you know, when you go to investors, when you go to try to hire people to come into your company, it's that kind of third party endorsement. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it will lead to other contacts, right? It will lead to yeah. Yeah, who knows where it's going to take you, what ecosystem path it might take you down. Inter intersecting ecosystems. Yeah. 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 So now you have a, you have a product, uh, you have a second generation, you kind of got there. You think you got something. How did you get it to your market? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good one. And I think there's no question that we were up against a huge challenge in that our end markets are really fairly remote. It's not only that they're applicable in, in uh, nations that have low, low incomes, low resources, the nature of uh, your topography and your geo, you know, you have to have enough sunlight to support solar. If it's a very condensed population, then our value props not strong. So we really did start in Sub-Saharan Africa. We had the connections in Malawi through James when he went there back in 2018. We met other people in Uganda and then later in Kenya. And so it, it was always uh, an uphill battle, to be honest. It would have been nice to just, again, drive down the road, uh, but we couldn't. But we just kept working at it and the people that helped us were just remarkable. I think they inherently saw what we were trying to do and the value of it and the novelty of it. And so they were very generous with their time. Mm -hmm. But what that led to, I think, is one of uh, another element of the story I, I, I'd like to tell you, which is the notion of a minimum viable product, okay. which is always a very hot, hotly debated, contested, much discussed concept. 
And what we are doing today is we we call it our MVP. We call it the O2Cube Fast Track. And it's running, serving a 26-bed pediatric ward in Nigeria today, bringing oxygen to children that did not have it four or five months ago, any. In that ward, earlier in the year or late last year, just in one ward, they had seven deaths in one month, okay? So we're really, you know, we're talking about something real here. And uh, the way we did it, because there was a lot of like, well, you can't do an MVP with a medical device. You know, that's dangerous and we get it. And we're not a software company, so we just can't pop out, you know, right. and, <laughs> and see if it sticks and pull it back or whatever. I, I have to mention, I have two sons, both who are product managers uh, in, in one's in video games and the other one is at Google. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty jealous of the sons <laughs> who can operate in that world. Yeah, right. They have their own difficulties. But, but what we did is we said, look, the, the core components are FDA approved. They are medically safe. So let's take what we have and produce that oxygen in Nigeria but be very clear with the, the hospital there that this is not the end product, right? But we have some assumptions, right? You know, can, can people operate the device even in this simplified mode? Will there be resistance? We had heard many times that some people were very resistant to, to medical oxygen. I know from my work at Philips, there's a lot of folks who have COPD in this country and when they're told that they're going to go on to medical oxygen, it's a very momentous event. Yeah, because you never because come COPD, off. There is no cure. It's it's over time you you will succumb to it. And so there were there was that kind of assumption about will people accept oxygen medically? Will the the nursing staff be comfortable using it? So we're now actively answering those questions. So that notion of you know, the, can the MVP help you confirm or disprove certain hypotheses? I think we're doing it, you know. Yeah. What I love about this story is all you ever hear for MVP is software MVP. <laughs> so I'm so glad to hear a, a, a product, a hardware, physical product MVP. And, and a regulated industry. Yeah, we got, how about that? Yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, but I, I will say I don't think we would have thought of it without my training and the student training to think, you know, MVP, you know, I, I came up in a development culture where you engineered prototypes and prototypes were used inside and you tested them in your laboratory or at your factory. And customers were only like, could get, you know, may, hey, well, we're gonna open the doors and let you come in and look at it. And in my mind, Lean Startup and MVP kind of turned that notion on its head and said, no, get the product or something close to it in front of the customer as fast as possible to learn as much. And so as long as you have that learning thought process, and as long as you're very transparent and open with your customer that they, you know, then, then it works. And, and yeah, so it can be done. It's harder, yeah. but it can be done. Sure. I think it's a great approach. Now I was thinking when you were talking about the, different locations, you know, if, if you go into one, one particular area and you have success, you know, these, these, 
these uh, medical people, they have their own network, right? So they're all struggling with people dying because they don't have oxygen. And they hear through their own network that, hey, we've got something that's working. So that's a great, I mean, talk about a, a, an easy way to spread a marketing message or, you know, a, a message of, 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 of positivity out there. Maybe going back to the ecosystem discussion, very early on, we were introduced to a group called the Every Breath Counts Coalition. We joined it right away. And it's led by a wonderful woman, Leith Greenslade. She lives in New York City. She's Australian by birth. And she's one of these force of nature kinds of people there you go. that is just driving this mission. And we meet now every other Monday for a minute for a long time. It was every Monday during COVID. She holds a, a conference call where there's at least a hundred people on this call. And I remember going to my first one, like overwhelmed and just seeing this list of people. And it's a big Zoom call. I've spent the last four years working that room, right? I wanted to get to know people and I wanted them to know us. And so Leith did that, you know, she's openly facilitating, again, another ecosystem, but now you've got ministries of health people, you've got NGOs like the Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, UNICEF are very active. And so she, in a terrific way, you know, created that in ecosystem. And so we couldn't, we would not be here where we are today without that platform that Leith created and, and, and a lot, a lot of people uh, supporting that. That, and then I think to the scale, that, that's one way we're scaling. And then I think one other, we have time I wanna mention, one of the exciting things about, okay, so now you have the product, but is it a complete solution and can you really get it into the hands of the people that need it? And so we're also involved in a program called Colab, Oxygen Colab out of the UK. And their program is business model innovation. So we entered and we're in it now. We're one of eight companies in this thing. And their whole competition is who can come up with the best business model to deliver medical oxygen in these low resource environments. So it's not a technology competition. It's not a pitch yeah. competition. And so it's just been exciting that, that you've got different people in India, Uganda, Nigeria, Senegal, uh, I'm missing some countries and they're all, you know, looking at their local environment, if you will, regulatory and so on and, and business and saying, how can we sustainably deliver? And the, the concept is called oxygen as a utility. So just like you spend for gas, electric and water, why not make medical oxygen a utility and not require people to build the infrastructure, the hospitals to build it and support it? Why not provide it as a service? So it's oxygen, you know, it's not software as a service. Yeah, it's O A A S. O two A A U. There you go. And there's a really terrific paper out on it, published by Path and supported, funded by Gates and Phillips. Actually, were the two companies. I posted it a couple of weeks ago, and I can put it out again on LinkedIn. Yeah, we'll here. we'll make sure we we put a link to yeah, it in the show notes for sure. Concept. Yeah. Doors keep opening for you. It's just so, such an amazing story. When you have something that really makes a difference in people's lives, what a, what a great story. You must look in the mirror in the morning. You guys got to no, feel no, no, great. No, no, no. People know. <laughs> no, I think I'm so 
such a product development person. I'm 99% of the time, I'm just like, how do we, you know, yep. it's just like yes. any other product. And then a photograph comes back from Nigeria, you know, or this interview we just did with a doctor. And then it does get you. It'll grab you for a moment. And then you're just back to work. It, 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 but I know, I know what you mean. And if, if there's one term I want to leave with you guys or get through, because we, we, we struggled around this. Like, should we be a nonprofit or mm. should we be an LLC? And at some point for us, it became solidified. You know, as an entrepreneur, what do you want? You want scale. Scale means you were successful. You met a problem you know, economically, you know, and, and experientially, but you want social impact, right? If you're an NGO, if you want to make the world a better place, you have to have social impact. Well, just to me, social scale equals social impact. If we don't scale, we don't get social impact. So they're not, they're not fighting each other. That scale will mean social impact. So it's a really, I think it was really for me, a profound lesson because too many people were like, oh, if you're out for profit, you're not genuine, you know, and we are genuinely wanting to help people, but we can ap apply all of these capitalist techniques right, to scale, right? You can help them much better if you can afford to help them, right? Yeah. <laughs> stay in business and, 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 and be successful. The more successful you are, the better off society is. So yeah, that's a, we, that's a we win. We believe that. We yeah, really do. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome discussion, Mark. Really appreciate you stopping by to, to just share that story. If you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who was trying to do a new startup, uh, what would it be? I think a lot of the lessons that are preached is that, you know, have a problem worth solving. That always can be your North Star. If people don't want to solve that problem, you know, if it's not a problem worth solving, you got to really challenge yourself. Always challenge yourself. Is it a problem worth solving? And then the other would be, it's always slower than you want it to be. Yeah. Just be, be I love the word indefatigable, relentless. You kind of have to have some relentless in you if you're going <laughs> to, you know, yeah. because there's days it's like, there'll be those days. It ain't going to happen. And you just got to <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks, Great. Paul. Yeah. And, uh, George, I'd love to have you back and uh, let's talk about PDMA. That'd be great. Look great. forward we'll to it. it. And uh, just a final thing, I wish you real success on that Cisco challenge. Go get them. Oh, thanks. There's a vote. Yeah, I would maybe the vote closed. I think the vote closed. But oh. thank you. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I, but they did, they're doing it. I think it's a clever technique to get, go in and vote for your favorite. But it's the Cisco Global Solver Challenge. We'll know August, August 23rd. We'll find out. So right, we're looking good. forward to that. I'm sure by next time we talk, maybe you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a great uh, week ahead, Mark. Great talking to you. To you, our listeners, man, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That was an amazing story and full of so much great uh, perspective and advice. Uh, Mark's just a super, super guy, as you've now uh, realized. Hope you enjoyed that. I wish you all a great week ahead, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.